my mouth that when I walk off this podium, I'll know that it'll be thus saith the Lord. So we invite you here and we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. So, hey, before we get started, what I want to do is introduce today's message with a video. So here we go. You guys got the sound? Okay. I got it up here, guys. Okay, that is so good, and it's so funny. Every time I watch this, I get more and more excited about it because it just makes me laugh, especially that last hit. So you want to see it one more time? Let's see it again. Okay, we'll see this one more time. Here we go. Right here, it's my favorite. (laughs) Yes. How many of you can relate to that? Right? Doesn't life feel like that sometimes? I mean, you get knocked down and it's over and over again, right? You feel like you just keep getting knocked down. And uh, life just keeps hitting you right in the face. I know I feel like that. I'm sure many of you have felt like that at one time or another in your life. And so uh, I wanted to show that just as a way to introduce today's message. You know, sometimes when we get hit, it's often a surprise, right? It's like a sucker punch. And you know, our enemy specializes in sucker punches, doesn't he? Who knows what a sucker punch is? Okay, some of you. Okay, here we go. Oh, you got it up there for me. You guys are on it. Okay, so Wikipedia defines a sucker punch as it's a punch made without warning or while the recipient is distracted allowing no time for preparation or defense on the part of the recipient. It's often thrown from behind. The term is genuinely used in situations where the way in which the punch has been delivered is considered unfair or unethical and is done using deception or distraction, hence the term sucker, used to refer to the victim. That pretty much describes Satan in terms of how he works, doesn't it? Because he doesn't fight fair, does he? He certainly isn't ethical, And he uses deception and distraction as common tactics against you and I, right? Which is why I think Satan specializes in sucker punches. And, you know, when we go through adversity, uh, adversity is one of those things where it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how successful you are. Adversity will strike. You can be right in the middle of God's will doing exactly what God's called you to do and you will still get sucker punched. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul in our text for today. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Acts chapter 14 as we continue our study in the book of Acts. You may remember from last week, the Holy Spirit had commissioned Paul and Barnabas to go out and preach the gospel. Okay? And they had traveled from town to town preaching the gospel, doing just that. 
But if you'll also read, when you read about Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, is that in every town they went to just about, they ran into adversity. So in Acts chapter 13, we read about some Jews. They had got jealous. And when they got jealous, what they did is they stirred up this mob and they ran Paul and Barnabas out of town. Then in chapter 14, you can see right in the beginning, it says, and the same thing happened in Iconium, or Iconium rather, is how they pronounce it. The same thing happened. In other words, there's people that got jealous, they stirred up a mob, and what do they do? They come after Paul and Barnabas again. And this time, it's not just Jews. In chapter 14, it's Jews and Gentiles. And they come after Paul and Barnabas. They try to stone them. And Paul and Barnabas, they got wind of this. They found out that they were in trouble, so they escape. They go to another town, and they preach the gospel there. All right? Even though they were in the middle of God's will, doing exactly what God had called them to do, they still faced adversity. There was still opposition. There were still extreme challenges. And this brings us to our main text today. It's in Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 22. And here it is. I've got two things of water up here. I'm prepared today. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium, and they won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up, went back into the town. After preaching the good news in Derbe and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. You know, Paul is nearly killed here. As a matter of fact, all those who stood around all thought he was dead. Even those who came to believe in Jesus, even those who believed in Jesus through their message, all thought that he was dead. You know, I wonder what it must have been like to have been there. When I was preparing this message, I thought to myself, what would it have been like to have seen this happen, right? You had seen Paul do some amazing things. He preached with such power and with such boldness. And then you saw him heal people. There was miracles of healing that Paul had performed. How could he possibly be dead, right? How could God let this happen, we might be asking. I know I would if I were there. Why would God allow this? And I love what Paul says to the Corinthian church. Listen to this. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. So turn to your right in your Bible. He says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not given to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. That's the title of today's message. Down, but not destroyed. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. That brings us to truth number one today. We will get hit. You and I will get hit. Okay, that's the truth number one. It's not a question of if. It's simply a question of when. And many times we don't see it coming when life hits us. And that's my point. Many times when we get hit with adversity... It can come as a surprise. It's a sucker punch. And we have an enemy who doesn't fight fair. 
He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And he'll use anything he can to accomplish that mission. Even as we grow stronger and wiser in the Lord, we will still get hit at some time or another. You know, it's like a boxing match. How many of you have watched boxing before? You see how many punches are thrown in a boxing match? People get hit in a boxing match, right? It doesn't matter how good you are. You can slip as many punches as you want. Eventually, you will get hit. That's kind of like how life is. We will get hit. The bigger question here is, how do you respond when life hits you? Think about that. How do you respond when life hits you? And that brings us to the second truth for today. We will go down. We will go down. We all get hit, but at some point, we will go down. At some point in our lives, we're going to experience a major crisis of some kind. It could be a death. It could be a divorce. It could be an injury. Maybe it was a financial catastrophe. It could be a loss of a job. Maybe you've gotten into a major argument with a friend. Perhaps it was some kind of a betrayal or even some form of persecution. You can name whatever it is, but there will come a time when we will go down. And I know you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, you just told me that I'm going to get hit and I'm going to go down. That's not very encouraging, right? Are you with me? But I will say this, stay with me, right? Because I'm going somewhere with this, all right? I'm going somewhere with it. You will get hit, you will go down, rest assured. I just want you to know that this is reality. Our lives are not all rainbows and kitty cats, as my wife would say. It's not. Even when we're right in the middle of what God wants us to do. Listen to the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians. Here's what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says this. I have worked harder been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and, gave, and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Does that sound like fun? This is Paul, right in the middle of God's will. That's way more than he can handle. If you were here last week, I talked about a common phrase that many of us use and many of us have seen out there on Facebook or Pinterest or wherever, and it was, God will never give you more than you can handle. Now, I'm not going to repeat what I said last week, because if you want to know about that, go listen to last week's message. But I will tell you this. Paul is saying here he has had way more than he could handle. Way more than he could handle. He went through some ridiculous adversity, and he went down. One of the times that he went down is what we just read in our main text today. It's when he was stoned. All right, he was stoned, and they all thought he was dead. Listen, God never promised 
that we wouldn't face adversity. He never promised that. He never promised that we wouldn't get hit or that we wouldn't go down. Actually, it's quite the opposite. Turn with me to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James chapter 1. This is what it says. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Notice here it says when troubles come. When your faith is tested. It didn't say if your troubles come or if your faith is tested. It said when, right? Troubles do come and our faith is tested. It's less about what happens to us and more about how do we respond. So if you've got your hand out, in your blank there, put respond. It's more about how do we respond when we get hit or when we go down. What do we do when we get knocked down? What do we do? Sometimes we just waller around, don't we? We just waller around and feel sorry for ourselves. And then we'll say things like this. We'll say, why did this happen to me? Oh, this is so awful. And we'll have this little pity party to ourselves about how bad we've got it. Let's be honest, right? Other times we're just so blinded by what's happened to us, we can't see anything but our problems. Have you ever been around that kind of person that no matter what you share about what you're going through, they've always got it worse? Right? You're trying to tell them about what you're going through, and they, you know they've had it way worse than you. They've been through way worse, or they're going through way worse than you right now. Isn't that frustrating, right, when you got that kind of person? I mean, it's terrible, isn't it, when you've got somebody who's just piling on. You're already down. You don't need that on top of it. We get so me-focused, don't we? It's all about us. Oh, yeah? Well, what about what happened to me, you know? I have that tendency, too, sometimes. I think we all do. We get guilty of that and get so focused on ourselves rather than the other person. Another tendency when we're down is just to stay down. Depression sets in. We try to isolate ourselves because of our grief. We want nothing to do with anyone around us, do we, when we go down sometimes? We say things like this. They don't understand. They don't care. I'm all alone. Listen, I'm here to tell you today that those are lies straight from the hell. That's where they're from. They're from hell. They're from our enemy. All of that. The enemy loves to get us isolated. He loves that because when we're isolated, that's when we're the most vulnerable is when we're alone. And so the enemy will do everything he can to get you by yourself. He knows better. And then he'll pile all kinds of lies on top of your situation. If we've been hurt by someone, he'll come up with all kinds of reasons why you can't forgive that person. And then you'll be consumed by anger, by frustration, or by jealousy. If there's one thing that we need to know when we get knocked down, it's this. We are not alone. We are not alone. Help is all around us. We just need to be willing to reach out. You know, Ecclesiastes has something to say about this. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. The Bible warns us here about being alone. It says, 
Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. He has no one to help him up. That's a warning for you and I. Woe to him who is alone when he falls. You know, it's one thing for someone to reach out to help another person. But that person that you're reaching out to has to be willing to grab on, don't they? You know how hard it is to pull someone up if they're fighting against you, right? It's kind of like, think of a lifeguard, right? When they're training them to go save somebody out in the water, and when we're out there in the water and they're all thrashing and going all over the place, they know better not to go right into that because if they do, that person's going to pull them down right with them, right? They wait till they stop struggling and they have nothing left. Then they go in, save them, okay? So the lesson here is, is stop struggling, trying to solve the thing for yourself, and let that person that's reaching out trying to help you, help you, okay? Woe to him who is alone. You know, I had a dear friend who got knocked down in life, and he never got up. The enemy deceived him. The enemy deceived him with all kinds of lies. And so my friend, he stayed blinded to the truth. And when people reached out to help him, he didn't reach back. Unfortunately, in my friend's case, he ended up taking his own life. This happened last February. It was devastating. It was absolutely terrible for his wife. But the bottom line is, he made his choice. And some of you out here may have had that happen to you. You may have had a loved one close to you or a friend or a family member who's taken their life. And here's the thing. The enemy will get a hold of you and make you think like you're the only one that's dealt with those problems. And the only way to solve it is to take your life because no one would care, right? But here's the truth. When that happens, there's this giant ripple effect that goes out, okay? And it affects everyone in that family and friends and circle and on out. So it's a lie when the enemy says, you're not needed anymore. No one cares about you. It is a lie. Now, it, it's a terrible, selfish choice when someone does that. My friend gave up. That's what happened. He gave up. Now, I loved him dearly. I really did. But he gave up. Don't ever let that be you. Don't ever let that be you. Never give up. Get up. Get up. And that brings me to our third truth for today. We can get up. I talked last week about the difference between I can't and I can. Philippians 4 tells us that I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. We can get up. We will get hit. We will go down. But we can get up. I'm looking at that little baby. She's so cute. Man. (laughs) You know, that's exactly what Paul did in verse 20. If you look back at our text for today, what did he do? They stoned him. They all thought he was dead. And what does he do? He got up. He got up. He got up. And you know, stoning is brutal. It's brutal, and it's painful, and normally it always ends in death. Everyone around Paul thought he was dead. 
And then the word says, he got up. Look what he does next. This baffles me. Look what he does next. He got up, and what did he do? He went back into the town. So imagine this. You just got stoned, drug out of town for dead. You're going to turn around and go right back into the danger again. Does that make any sense? Does it? You think that makes any sense? Why wouldn't you just leave and go to a different town and preach the gospel? Why would you go right back into the same place where they just stoned you? This is Paul. Amazing. He gets up, goes back into the same town he was just stoned in. Now on the surface, this doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't. You know, some say that Paul died here. We don't know for certain. Some say that Paul actually died and perhaps he was raised back to life just like Lazarus. I kind of think it's a miracle in my mind as I'm looking at this text because I know when you get stoned, it's a, it's a crazy, ridiculous thing. Can you imagine getting hit with all these rocks? At the very least, if he didn't die, then perhaps he would have been severely wounded. He would have been bloody. Bones would have been broken. He wouldn't have been able to walk. But look what he does. He goes back into the same town that he was just in. He immediately picks right back up on his missionary journey with Barnabas. They returned to several towns that they had already been to. They went about encouraging the believers from those towns that they were already in. He picked right back up where he left off. That is amazing to me. Knocked down, but he got up. And then, look what he does next. He uses this experience to remind others in verse 22 that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. How many of us can say this? How many of us can say this? Do we jump back into the fight for the kingdom or do we cower? Do we cower and look for ways to avoid getting back into the fight? Because let's face it, it is easier to stay down, isn't it? It's easier not to go back to there, wherever you were harmed or hurt, isn't it? It's much easier to do that. That's the lesson Paul is teaching us here. Get up. Adversity is part of life, even when we're right in the middle of God's will. Put that in your blank, middle. I said last week that there are at least two reasons why we go through trials. Now, there are many reasons. I just talked about two. One of them was to develop our character, and the other was to help others. We get so focused on ourselves, don't we, when we go through trials and when we get knocked down? It's a natural thing. We start looking at inward. Woe is me. Look what happened to me. And we don't think about the bigger picture. How is God going to use what I'm going through in the life of some other person? How can he use that to help someone else? Some of you might know Pastor Rick Warren. He's the pastor of a mega church in California called Saddleback Church. He's also the author of The Purpose Driven Life. You know, 33 years into his ministry, Pastor Rick was knocked down. He had a son that was suffering from mental illness. And this son, when he was 27 years old, decided to take his own life. You can imagine what that did to Pastor Rick. He got knocked down. Sometime later after that, uh, he got back up. And he says, after this horrifying incident, here's what he says. He said, other people are going to find healing in your wounds. Your greatest life messages and your most effective ministry will come out of your 
deepest hurts. I believe that's true. What about you? Last month, I was flying home from a business trip in New York, and uh, I settled into my seat, as I often do when I'm on those kind of flights. I pulled out my Bible. I started preparing for today's message. And as I was going back and forth between my Bible and my notes, the lady next to me took notice. And so she asked me, she said, are you studying for something? I said, well, yes, as a matter of fact, I am. I'm getting ready for a message I'm going to share. And uh, I said, I'm talking about we all get hit, we all go down, but we all can get up. And by the time I finished describing what the message was going to be about, she had tears in her eyes. And she said, would you mind if I share my story with you? I said, well, of course. I'd, I'd love to hear your story. She started out by apologizing. Uh, she apologized for interrupting me because she knew I was studying. But listen, I knew 10 seconds into the conversation that this was not an interruption. It was a divine appointment. I knew that. Now, did I want to finish preparing for the message? You bet I did. I was anxious to do that. But I was interrupted on purpose. So I listened. And as she spoke, I could feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have felt the presence of the Holy Spirit? It is awesome, isn't it? I could feel His presence. It was amazing. And after she finished her story, I asked her, I said, Carolyn, do you mind if I share your story? And she said, yes. Um, I don't mind if you share my story. If you think it can help someone else, by all means, share it. I wanted to emphasize this because I, I certainly wouldn't want to share her story without her permission. Now, Carolyn was married to the love of her life, and she had four kids. Her husband's name was Paul. And four years ago, she held Paul in her arms as he died. She's an RN nurse. She did everything she could to revive him, but he passed. Paul had a business partner this night, and his business partner came to their house, knocked on the door, and when Paul opened the door, he shot him. Then he walked out in the front yard, shot himself. Carolyn was there. Carolyn's oldest daughter was also home when all this happened. In an instant, Carolyn's life and that of her four children was changed forever. It was a devastating and shocking moment. But what was more amazing than the story itself that she's sharing with me was how Carolyn handled it all. She was honest about her pain. She was honest about how she felt being alone. Uh, she was also honest about the fear that she had of her oldest daughter. She was afraid her oldest daughter would take her, her life because of the pain she was going through. But you know, um, Carolyn and I, despite her struggling with this story, trying to tell it to me, Carolyn and I talked the entire time from New York to Minneapolis. I think from the moment that plane took off to the moment it landed, we were just talking, mostly Carolyn sharing her story. It was the joy on her face and in her emotions that really struck a chord within me. She had this uh, incredible hope. Her story was raw and it was real. She didn't hide her feelings about it. God was with her and he walked with her through this entire experience and her faith was as strong as ever. Now I know 
you can meet all kinds of people on a plane, can't you? You can't always believe everything you hear. You know, during her story, she encouraged me to go read about what had happened. Obviously, before I came and shared this story with you, I wanted to do my homework, so I did. I went and read all the articles about how her husband was murdered. And what she shared with me was, in fact, true. Now, I don't tell you this story to try to minimize her pain. I'm just saying that her relationship with Jesus was so evident that I could feel the joy coming from her. It was amazing. She had been knocked down in life, but she chose to get up. You know, one of the many lies of the enemy is to make us feel like God doesn't love us when we get knocked down. He'll make us question God's love for us. If he loves me, then why am I going through this, right? Why did my husband have to die? Why did my wife leave me? Why did my child get sick? If he loves me, then why am I having to deal with this adversity? Let's look at the truth on this, because you know, the Apostle Paul asks a very similar question, and then he answers it. Romans 8. You've got your Bibles. Turn to Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. If you've got a pen, I would encourage you to highlight, asterisk, circle, underline. This is truth right here. Here's the question. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? There's the question. As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. Here comes the answer. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons. Neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. There's the truth right there. No matter what happens to us, if we've accepted Jesus Christ into our heart, then we know that God's love is always there for us. Always. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Now, you've got an enemy who's going to say all kinds of things that it will separate you. There's the truth. Nothing. There's no exceptions. Nothing. David says in Psalm 23, he says this, Though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. For thou art with me. Someone needs to hear this today. God is with you. God is with you. For thou art with me. You may be in the darkest valley of your life right now. God is with you. God is with you. He promises in Hebrews 13, 5, that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. 
That's truth. That's you. Reach out to him today. Talk to him. Tell him how you feel. Tell him what's on your mind. Be honest. Psalm 37.4 says, Commit everything you do to the Lord and trust him, and he will help you. He will help you. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Okay? Every little detail. Commit it all to him. Then you've got to trust him. And what does he do? Here comes his part. He will help you. Put that in your blank. Help. He will help you. So in life, we will get hit. We will go down. But we can get up. We can get up. Now, as I was studying and researching material for this message, it struck me about how much adversity that a baby giraffe goes through when it's first born. I know you're sitting there and you're going, you just went from your message to a baby giraffe. I love it. You guys are like, what is he, where's he going? What's he going to do next? The baby giraffe goes through some crazy adversity when they come into life. Listen to this. When they're born, they drop six feet. Okay, that's the first thing. They drop six feet and they land right on their head. Isn't that an amazing way to come into the world? Can you imagine that? You're born and you get dropped right on your head first thing. Boom! But you know what? That fall is necessary. The fall is necessary, and here's why it's necessary. It's what breaks the amniotic sac. It's also what severs that umbilical cord. And most importantly, when that baby drops and hits the ground, the force of that drop causes the baby to go, to fill up its lungs and take its first breath. There is a reason for that fall. Okay? There's purpose in it. Now, the, cre- the story gets even better. Guess what the mama does? Mama giraffe comes over to the baby and gives the baby a big old kick. Okay? And it's trying to encourage the baby to get up. And if the baby doesn't get up, what does she do next? She comes back over there and kicks it again. Until finally that baby giraffe gets up, got those long, stringy little legs, and is all wobbly and gets up. What's mama do? She comes right back over there and kicks that baby giraffe off its feet. And you're like, well, why does that happen? Mama is trying to teach this baby a very important lesson. She wants that baby to remember how it got up. She wants that baby to remember how it got up the first time. She's teaching the baby an incredible life lesson because you know what? There are predators all around. That baby has got to get up and got to get up quickly so that it can stay with the herd. Now do you see the application? We're a herd, Crosspoint. This is a herd right here. Okay? We've got to stick together. Because when you're down, guess what the word says? We've got an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for who he can devour. That's what the word says in 1 Peter. He's looking for who he can devour. And if that's you, and you're down, and you're all by yourself, guess what? He's licking his chops. You need to get back up and get with the herd, right? When the trials of life beat us down, how well do we get back up? How well do we get back up? Now, I've not just been talking about getting up physically because let's face it, some of you may go through an injury or a disease that physically puts you down 
and you can't physically get up. All right? But the real battle is right here. It's in the mind. If you can't get up physically, get up mentally then. Get up spiritually then. Because that's the battle. So if that's you, and life has knocked you down, remember the words of the Apostle Paul. He says, we get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Right? So don't give up. Get up. That's the message. Don't give up. Get up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. I pray, Lord God, that if there's someone here and they're going through an incredibly challenging time, that you would encourage them to, one, seek help, but even more important than that, seek help from you. Lord, your word tells us to commit everything to you, to trust you, and you will help. Lord, I pray that uh, you just lift them up, um, give them the strength to carry on, to understand and know that they can. The enemy wants to say they can't, but we know the truth of your word says we can. So, Lord, I pray that we can live this message out. Perhaps we've been through uh, a crazy and ridiculous thing in the past. Lord, I pray that you'd use that in the life of ministering to someone else. Give us the strength and the boldness to be able to share, to encourage someone else who's walking through that valley, maybe even right now. Lord, we thank you for the hope we have in you because we know, Jesus, that you went down for us, that you died for us, that you died for our sins. But we also know that you didn't stay down, that you rose back up and on the third day you raised and came back to life. And you saved us from our sins as a result. We thank you for that. If there's anyone here today and you don't know Jesus and you want to know him, you want to know him today, you want to make it clear that I am going to make him Lord. I am tired of living the life of of trying to make it on my own. I want Jesus. If that's you today, just slip up your hand and I will pray for you. Anyone here that wants to know Jesus? Okay, we thank you, Lord, for how wonderful you are. I pray that you would bless each of us as we go. Help us to live this message in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all shake a hand.